0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five, while you're turning there, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series where we're talking about bearing fruit. How does God grow his people? What happens when we grow? Uh, when we grow, it bears fruit. And so while you're turning there, let's think about this today. We're gonna be talking about um, the fruit of the Spirit, ultimately how the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our life. Um, how many of you have seen the show Fixer Upper? Men, come on. All the ladies raise their hands. So, men, if you're sitting beside them, you've watched it with them, all right? All right, so Fixer Upper. Fixer Upper is a show that uh, Chip and, and Joanne Gaines, they, they started the show. Now, if you know a little bit of their story, they actually had this business, all right, where they were already kind of doing some of this. And it wasn't necessarily going bad. It wasn't going great. It was just going. And then they got this deal, all right, with, with TV. What, what channel is that show on? Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. So uh, that, that that channel, HG something. And so they got to deal with them and they began to show. And here's the thing about uh, why I believe this show took off. Now, could it be because Chip's hilarious and crazy? Maybe. Could it be because Joanne has this like unbelievable skill and can like paint everything white and shiplap and like everyone wants it in America? I don't know. Maybe that's it. Okay. Could it be like their marriage and kids? Could it be the all the producing? I, I think... All of that probably helps, all right? Some of you right now, you go to Target for a loaf of bread, and you come out, and you've redecorated your living room because of this stuff, right? Now they got their own like section. It's clearly going really good. Here's my theory on why I believe this show has done so well, because here's the thing. That's just on the home market, but if you take any genre right now of anything you like to watch, there's probably a show made in its image. Men, Sports Center. You like sports? Go to Sports Center right now and they are showing behind the scenes stories on how people went from broken, terrible situations and now they're succeeding. You you like cars? Turn to car channels and they're going to have a show where they went into a junkyard, found this thing that nobody wanted, this neglected car named Bumblebee and it transforms into this like unbelievable like thing, right? And they make it into this thing every person hot rodder or whatever you would want it. And I believe there's a theme here in why this is taken off. And I think it's because we want this kind of thing to be true of ourselves. There's a hope that a mess can be turned into something beautiful. You see, she goes in and they look at these houses, right? And there's like, there's like this house that's like just kind of outdated. And you're like, man, I could make that one look all right. And then there's this other house that you're like, oh, that one's got land. I think I'll like that. And then there's the other one that's like a barn house and like, you know, like cows are living in it and they're like, I'm going to pick that house. And you're like, What? What are you going to do with that house? How are you going to make this like something that somebody would want? And you can see the people are kind of like, I don't want that house. The husband's going, we want that one, you know. But then they sit them down. My favorite part of the show is when they sit them down, Joanna breaks out her computer and says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to tear these walls out because Chip has to tear walls out. He's got a demo day. He's got to happen. And we're going to add this here and we're going to do this here. And you begin to kind of get a picture of, oh, maybe this is how they're going to make this house look awesome. But then they start doing it and you're still not exactly sure what they're doing. And at the very end, you're like, man, that is unbelievably awesome. Like I love that home. And I believe that there is something that we want to be true in that story in us that God can take our mess of sin and stain and uh, things that are run down, a place where rebellion has had its effect in our life, things where we're suffering and he he can make something beautiful in it and out of it. It's something that whether people believe in God or not, we pull for an underdog story because we want something like that to happen in our life. We can relate with it. We can say, man, that's the house that I am. Man, that's broken down, beat up. Like, I can relate to that. This is a theme we see all throughout the scriptures in the desire for God to bear fruit in his people. That we would go from not producing spiritual fruit to producing spiritual fruit. In Matthew chapter seven, verse 16, he says that you will recognize them by their fruits, by the change that you were like this and now you're like this, bearing fruit. Matthew 21, 43 says the kingdom of God, it'll be given to a people producing its fruits. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. John 15, 8 says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and you prove to be my disciples. It is the desire of God that he would take us impacted and affected by sin and that he would restore our life, that he would give us true life, that we would go from death to life and that we would be a people who bear fruit. So let me ask you this quick question as we move in from, from being a people who bear fruit to talking about the Holy Spirit in our life. Let me ask you this question, who is the Holy Spirit to you? Who's the Holy Spirit to you? I ask that because if I asked you, hey, who is God to you? You'd be like, oh, I'll tell you who God is, boy. He's the one true God. That's who he is, he's the Father. And let me tell you, who's Jesus to you? You'd say, oh, I know, let me tell you Jesus. He's my savior, he's my redeemer, he's my healer, he's my forgiver, he's my substitute. You can, you personally relate to who Jesus is to you. But many Christians, when I ask you, who is the Holy Spirit to you? You know who he is, like, oh, that's like the third person in the Trinity, like the Holy Spirit, you know, that's like the helper person, the teacher, he says in Corinthians. But who is the Holy Spirit, like, to you personally? You can say who God is to you, right? Because now you're able to come to the presence of the Father through the Son, but by the Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit to you? You see, there are two types of fruit that everybody bears. There's the fruit of the lost and the fruit of the saved. So who is the Holy Spirit to you personally? See, I feel like there's probably a lot of us that if we had to ask who the Holy Spirit is to us, we really don't know. And it's because we're trying to live the Christian life without the power and the presence of God in our life. It's amazing how many things we try to do on our own. We try to fix up our house on our own, right? You're like, well, I tell you what, I'm gonna be the Chip and Joanna of my life. I see my life, it's in shambles, but God wants to bear fruit. So, so far in this sermon series, here's what you've gotten. I need to turn from God, turn from sin to God, and I need to fix my life. I need to change my life. Let me tell you what I don't wanna do today. As we begin to walk into this Galatians five passage on the fruit of the spirit, here's what I don't want. And this is what many of us will do. You're gonna go through this and you're gonna hear the 15 words that he gives you for the fruit of the flesh. And then you're gonna get the nine words that he gives you for the fruit of the spirit. And you're gonna, okay, today I'm gonna make 15 boxes on the left and I'm not gonna do these 15. God, I'm not checking these boxes anymore. But these nine over here, the fruit of the spirit, I'm gonna produce these in my life. So I'm gonna start checking these. How can I, and then you're gonna go through the list. How can I do this? but today's sermon is not about what you can do. As a matter of fact, you cannot do this. I know you're like, man, he is like so positive today. I'm so glad I'm here. Now listen to me, it's impossible for you to renovate the home of your life in this fashion. It's only something that the power and the presence of God can do in your life. So what I don't want you to do is to read this as a do's and don't sermon. Matter of fact, let me give you some context of the book of Galatians in general that I think will help us as we get into the passage itself. So let me give you some context. Let's start with Galatians chapter five, verse one. Maybe one of my most favorite Bible verses, uh, I, I say this all the time to myself. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. He begins in Galatians chapter five, giving you a key word. So I'm gonna give you two key words as we get some context for this passage. The first one is freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set you free, all right? To be free from sin. Some of you, you're here today and you're enslaved to sin. Now I've gotten some really good questions from multiple people this week about why does the Bible use language like slavery? And we're coming into Martin Luther King weekend where, and it's a great illustration because Martin Luther King, M.O.K., he saw maybe a vision of what he thought could be a better America where we didn't see skin color, which I know we agree in this place. God's made everyone in the image of God. Amen? Amen. He had this vision of something that could, be, that could be better. All right? And so for him, this idea of what slavery is, what I don't want you to hear as you're reading through the Bible is like, well, I'm offended. And how the Bible talks about slavery. No, the Bible uses it as an illustration that we can understand. It's a great illustration because we get it. Slavery, it it puts people in chains and in bondage. It forces people into a certain lifestyle. And what he is saying here, it's beginning is that God's intentions are not for us to live in bondage that way, but to be freed, all right? To be free, to live in the freedom of Christ All right, that now we become slaves to Christ. He's our new master. We want to follow him, but yet this master treats us differently. He frees us to follow him, he doesn't force us to follow him. Now we get to follow him in freedom. For freedom, Christ set us free. And so he's telling us, and some of you, you can relate to this because you're not a follower of Jesus yet. You're kind of checking this God thing out, and you completely understand right now what it means to be a slavery, to be in slavery to sin. Uh, You are like in shackles to it. It's got you in chains, and and it's driving your life. So you don't understand that freedom from it yet. Others, you remember what it's like to be set free from sin, but you also feel the temptation to go back to it. And he's going to relate to that. So he, he wants us to understand freedom. Now, when you are constantly, now let me say, there's one freedom That he wants us to understand like from slavery there's another type of freedom that i believe he wants us to understand in this passage let me give it to you like an illustration i want you to just imagine for just a moment if you're single in this place that like you're married one day believe it or not like hang in there it's going to happen one day like god's got you all right trust the lord in it let's just pretend you're married everyone else if you are married then you apply this in your own your own relationship all right i want you to imagine for one second that you felt so trapped in this relationship, okay, that you began to make decisions out of fear. If I do not do this for her, this is a great lesson on the way into Valentine's Day. All right, men, listen up. If I do not do something, she will not love me. So that's why some of you are like rebellious toward Valentine's Day. You're like the card company invented this junk and if I don't do this, right, they're gonna make money. If I don't do this, she's gonna like not love me. So here's what happens. You go buy cards, like begrudgingly. You're like, this is ridiculous. This card is like $11 and 14 cents. Like, I hate Valentine's Day. So then you go buy like some candy or something. And, and like you just you, you're not saying, man, I love my wife and I wanna do something for her to show her that she's special. You're like, I have to do this. Because if I do not do this thing, And she's not gonna love me back. That is a form of slavery in your relationship. You are in chain that if you don't do a certain thing, you're not gonna be loved back. So for some of you, you're in that place right now with God. If I don't perform to meet his perfect standards, he's not gonna love me back. So though you've been freed from all the weight of your sin, you still feel trapped because if you don't meet a certain standard, if you don't live it a certain way, then God's not gonna love you anymore. So you're not living in the freedom of your relationship with Jesus. You're living trapped because you're saying, I've got a list of do's and don'ts. And if I don't do this thing, then I'm not gonna feel the love of God. I'm not gonna feel the presence of God. So now you feel trapped. That is a form uh, of slavery in a relationship. If you are only here to learn how to be a better person, because God only loves good people, that's slavery. You are enchained to this perception that you have to be a good person for God to love you so you are at church to learn how to be a better, good person so that you can receive the love of God. See, some of you, you know this because this is how you're feeling right now. You feel trapped to be better, all right? You feel trapped to to do better, to be better. Like, if God, if I'm not pleasing him, I'm not experiencing the love of God. So you feel this constant trap. Man, I'm trying to enjoy Sunday. I'm trying to enjoy worship. I'm trying to enjoy reading my Bible, but I'm always relating to what I'm not doing for God. I'm not good enough. I'm not meeting his standards. I'm not at a good enough level for this. And so because I'm not there, I'm, I don't know that God loves me. What you need from me today is not a sermon on instructions of what you need to do more of and what you need to do less of. Rather, what I believe he's doing in the book of Galatians is that you would understand that what you need more of is intimacy with God. You see, because for me, I don't want to feel trapped that I have to do something for my wife. What I want is that out of the intimacy of our marriage, I desire to do certain good things. All right? I desire, because I want to love on her. I don't want to do things so that I have to get something back from it. No, out of a, an intimacy in our relationship now, I want that to pour into a desire to do certain things. And so for some of you today, you feel like I have to do certain things Otherwise, I'm not gonna receive certain things. And rather, what God wants you to see is I want you to love him and be closer to him. And as a result of that, you then, in your freedom, you wanna worship him. Look at chapter five, verse 13. He says this, listen to how he words it. For you were called to be free. Brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. See, freedom comes, and I want you, maybe if you're jotting notes down, I'm gonna give you a few points in a minute, but this might be something you wanna write down. Freedom comes in knowing that everything necessary for you to be saved and everything necessary for God to be pleased with you has already been accomplished through Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Everything necessary for you to be saved and everything necessary for God to be pleased with you has already been done by the work of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and, and resurrection. It's done. It's done in him. So what Paul is battling against in the book of Galatians is a lot of folks that are saying, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And so what he's actually referring to in chapter one, he calls this another gospel. He says, this, is, this isn't, it's not even the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a whole nother gospel. All right. and, and so ultimately, the entire purpose of the book of Galatians is to clearly distinguish between the gospel of Jesus Christ and a false gospel where you try to fix yourself. Some of you right now, you are not experiencing the love of Christ because you're too busy trying to fix yourself. And what God wants you to see is that he's done everything that you'll ever need on the, work, on the cross, and he wants you to come to him. And, he, and when you fall more madly in love with him because you see what he's done for you, you now have freedom and this work is done through you. So the one word is freedom. The second word is flesh. You're gonna see this come up over and over and over in, in the book of Galatians and it comes up here. Now, some of you are like, hey, I know what flesh is. <laughs> I don't need anybody to tell me what flesh is. I got that one down. Flesh is ultimately our self. Flesh is self. Flesh is saying, I wanna please me, not please God. Where flesh is, it's all about me, not Christ. So flesh is telling you to think this way for yourself. Live this way for yourself. Do this thing for yourself. As, as a bearers of fruit, we, an indicator of the condition of our heart is the fruit that we bear. So what we're about to see is some fruit that shows up based off where our heart is. So here's what I wanna do. I just wanna walk through Galatians. Chapter five, starting in verse 16. I'm just gonna walk through it, we're gonna teach through it, and then we're gonna make a few points about what God has to say to us. All right, you ready? Here we go, Galatians chapter five, starting in verse 16. He says, I say then, walk by the spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want, so that you don't do what you want. I, he starts off, anybody play tug of war? Yeah, some tug of war, back member. like back in the day, you like love some tug of war, all right? No participation trophies, there's a winner and a loser in tug of war. All right, you have like a line. whoever crawls it, you'll win, right? So tug of war, he puts two things opposing on, on the side. He says you have the Spirit of God and our flesh that are present. All right, and they will tug against each other. The flesh is opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit is opposed to the flesh. And so they're both present. He, he creates ultimately a problem, all right? The flesh desires what is against the Spirit. The Spirit desires what is against the flesh. So how do we bear fruit in the Spirit of God and not bear the fruit of the flesh. It's a tug of war. Think about it. How many of you here, you say, man, I really want to please Jesus, but my flesh always also wants some things that are opposed to Christ. I I want him, but I also want this thing over here as well. So how do we do this? How does this work in the Christian life? So let me give you a, a point number one here, and I think it's something that we all need to see, and that is that the flesh will always lead you toward legalism or lawlessness. The flesh will always lead you toward legalism or lawlessness. All right, so let me give you maybe some of those church words. What is legalism? Legalism is saying this, as long as I do right, then I get God. As long as I do right, then I get God. Legalism tells you that you, God has this standard, and as long as you, you can meet that standard, then you get God in your life. All right, if I, this week, today, this hour, if I do right, if I follow his law, if I follow his rules, all right, and it's all based off what you do. It's based off of you and your work and your effort to do that. As long as I fulfill his law. The problem with that, well, there's a lot, but let me give you a few. The problem with this is we can never get to God and we never get God based off what we do. You can't obtain him in your life based off your effort, based off your work. All right? And you say, well, if you always tell us, if I want to grow this year, like, I should read the Bible. That's exactly right. You should, but you will grow because the spirit of God teaches you through his word. It's through his word and his power and his might. See, law, legalism says it is you get God based off your effort, what you do, based off who you are. The problem is we can never get him based off what we do. Another issue with this is we always set the bar too low. Like, oh man, I tell you what, I, 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 I'm fulfilling God's law. Like, I'm fulfilling his word. The Pharisees and Sadducees are like, we're meeting this. But the problem is we set the bar like really low. If you're feeling really good, like, man, I, I'm doing this. Like, I'm fulfilling the law. Like, I'm, I'm doing it. You've missed it. The entire the law is there in the Old Testament to show you that you can't meet it. You can't fulfill it. What does he say? If you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. All right, why? Because it's showing us that we needed a savior. We needed a hero that could come in and fulfill the law, that could meet it. So legalism is telling you that, that you need to to do this. So what happens is you come in every Sunday, you hear these messages, and I'll tell you, the reason I know this well is because for the first several years of my walk with Christ, this was me. I thought that if I, if I wanted more of Jesus, I had to do more. So every day was this spiritual checklist. Every time I failed, you know what happens when you, you toward legalism, when you, you mess up, you fall really hard. You beat yourself up. You're so mad at yourself because now you don't get God as much in your life because you're not meeting his his lawful standard. And so let me tell you what else it does. Let me tell you what legalism does. It produces a false picture of what it means to be a Christian. Legalism produces a false picture of what it means to be a Christian. And the reason why is because it shows the world that what we think Christianity is is a bunch of people that follow the rules joylessly. It's a bunch of people that follow all the rules joylessly. Hey, my life is waking up today to to follow all these rules that we've got, and I've got to follow all the rules. And you can't have joy, and the effort that you need to try to meet the law and to try to get it, you're not going to have joy there because it's based off your work and your effort, and you're not going to meet it. And you're going to be frustrated. You're going to get burnt out. You're going to get tired because it's built on who you are and not who you are. God is, so for some of you, for you, you, you tend to, your flesh is leading you to lawlessness, and it's producing a picture of joyless rule following. But then the other part is, it leads to, to lawlessness, legalism and lawlessness. You say, well, how do we get lawlessness out of this? Well, here's why. Have you ever seen somebody that was this picture of like, in your mind, like what a perfect Christian was like? There's this person. You're like, man, they are like super Christian. I mean, they're like, it's like Jesus, and like this person is like up there, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like they fall out of the picture. Like, where'd they go? They're not church anymore. And then next thing you know, man, they're living just completely opposite of everything you've ever seen. We probably all know somebody like that. Some of you, that might be you. You're online right now because you're ashamed to go in church because you fell off the radar. Because here's what happens. If you think that you get God based off what you can do, eventually you're going to get so frustrated that you can't do it. You'll just give up. They will forget it. Think about how many people have told you, look, I don't want this Jesus thing. And the reason why is because I can't do all these rules and everything y'all got. I can't do all that. So if I can't do all that, I would rather do what I wanna do, when I wanna do it, and how I wanna do it. I mean, if I can't meet the rule and meet the way, if I, I'm not perfect like all y'all are perfect, so I'll just do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. How many people have you shared the good news of Christ with and they say, you know what, I'm just not ready for that because I wanna do what I wanna do. Our flesh pushes us to lawlessness. The problem is, though, is that lawlessness produces death. Legalism produces death, not life. See, lawlessness always leads to dissatisfaction. Think about it. The person that says, I'm not gonna follow God, I'm gonna do what I want, are they satisfied in life? Are they happy? They, I want all the money in the world, and they got it, and are they happy? No, it doesn't produce satisfaction. It produces destruction and and death. The Bible would say it eventually is gonna lead to damnation. It's gonna separate them from God and then there's, there's nothing to be gained in that. You see, lawlessness, though it's celebrated, it, it, it leads and it never leads to happiness or joy. See, we are not made to be the God of our own life. He is, we need him. And so when we make ourself God of our life, it doesn't lead to happiness or joy, it leads to destruction. Some of you, you're here and you are trying to do everything your way, what you want, and, and you're still not happy. You're not satisfied because joy is not going to be produced from those things. As a matter of fact, he's going to go on this list. And I'm about to walk through the list of 15 deeds that come out of the flesh. All right. Let's start with me in verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. All right. They're obvious. i me just say, there was a time where I thought they were more obvious. All right. But now it seems like maybe we're going to live in a day where the works of the flesh are, or maybe it seems more abundant. But he's going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to group them for you. All right, so let me start with this first grouping. Now, the works of the flesh are, are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, and promiscuity. Sexual immorality, moral purity, promiscuity. All of these, is this is any distortion or perversion of God's design for sex. It is the reason that you're never satisfied when you're sleeping around and, and the reason that you can go after all this stuff and it's really difficult to commune with God on a Sunday morning after a wild Saturday night. It's really hard to sit under the word of God, to open up the word of God when you know that where you are in your life is sexually immoral. Because it's not God's design. It's not producing the fruit that God would have. And the lust of the flesh is pulling you away. And so this is anything, any distortion or perversion of God's design for sex. He said, this is uh, the works of the flesh. They're obvious in that. Then he goes and he says, it's idolatry. He uses idolatry. Idolatry, A.W. Tozer says, is worshiping anything other than God. It's giving something too much worth when we should be given to God. This includes ourself, all right? This is worshiping ourself when we ought to be worshiping God. He uses another word here and he says sorcery. Now, sorcery, some of you are like, all right, what's going on? What is sorcery? Sorcery is witchcraft. You're like, all right, why is that in the list? All right, I don't understand what's happening. Well, what is witchcraft? What is it? The heart of witchcraft is attempting to control God or to control nature for your deeds. All right, it's a group of people that try to either use uh, natural elements or use certain spells or incantations or natural powers to influence what they want. Let me just give you like, there might be one spell, it's like a love spell, right? Now, I, I'm gonna mix, or going into Valentine's Day, you can like look it up, like witches that'll be doing something under the sun, moon with light and dirt and throw it in there and they'll dance around a fire and they'll say, if you drink this, like somebody's gonna fall in love with you. And what you're saying is, I'm tired of singleness, and I think that guy's good for me, so I'm about to throw some of this witch dirt in their drink, and they're gonna love me the rest of my life. Now, we would laugh at this, but the reality is this is reality. And hear me, everybody, loud and clear. Witchcraft is not something of movies. It is something very present right now. It is something a lot of our students are, are facing. It's a lot of our college students are facing, and here's why. The reason people are being moved toward witchcraft and sorcery is because it gives you and I control of what we want. It puts us at the center. We get to wield the power. You get to wield the influence. You get to get what you want until that thing don't work or you dabble in something you shouldn't be dabbling in and you're in trouble. What we find is that sorcery, what it ultimately is about, it's about getting God or nature to respond to what you want. It's placing you on the throne of your life. And so he says, this is a work of the flesh because it's not centered around God's glory or his namesake, it's about you. And it's ultimately about using whatever means you can to satisfy what you want. Then he says, another grouping, which almost seems not to fit. Because you're like, all right, you got idolatry, sorcery, sexual morality, moral impurity, promise, those are like big things, right? And then he says, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All of these things kind of lump together. And you're like, well, why are all those in there? And here's why. Because all of these things have one thing in common. They're all bitter conflicts that cause discord amongst relationships and people. Listen, remember what he just said in Galatians five, verse 14. He says that for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. All of these things impact our ability to love our neighbor. Envy, strife, jealousy. Hey, I I think social media is one of the great tools of our lifetime. I'm not a social media is bad. I think we can use social media for the glory of God like any tool we've ever had in our lifetime. I get to share the gospel every single week with people in other continents, in other cities, in other places that the gospel is closed. You know how? Because they're on Facebook and somebody that we know in another country will They will take our sermon and they'll post it on their Facebook page and they'll go in behind filters in other countries and watch our sermons. I love social media for the impact and the influence it can have for the gospel. But anything's good, Satan can also use for bad. And so in social media, some of you, you are struggling with jealousy or envy or strife because you see people's best on social media and you're experiencing what you might feel is your worst and you're trying to trade your worst for their best but you don't really know what they're going through. You don't know their struggles or difficulties and Satan has got you in envy and strife. And now you're mad at people. You don't wanna get close to people. You're mad at God because you want what you see somebody else has. These are natural things of the flesh. These are natural things that our body fights and we say, no, 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 I can't think that way. I don't wanna feel that way. I I wanna be happy for them. Man, thank God that they've got that awesome house and boat and a ton of money. Like, praise the Lord for that. I hope that's not a stumbling block for them. That'd be nice to know what that's like one day. Praise the Lord that they've got it. I hope they use it for the glory of God. Some of you are laughing. because, are like, Shh, I probably should think that way, right? We all struggle, but, these, but understanding that these are things that Satan wants to do that we would be against people. And so he says, these words, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, all these things are to notice. These are works of the flesh. These are not things that the Lord would desire. Then we have drunkenness and carousing, all right? The word carousing there in some of your translation will say orgies. And you say, well, these are another two fits. Like, why are these together? Like, why would these two things be together? I don't understand. Some would say, well, it's because drunkenness can lead to that. And and so why are they together? I believe it's another thing. I believe what he's trying to say is it's less about sexual immorality and, and more about an attitude of I'm giving myself over to this desire to try to satisfy me. I'm not just gonna have a drink. I'm gonna drink a lot till I get drunk that I would be satisfied, that I would be numb from pain or pressure or that I'll get a high that I want. I'm not just gonna have sex within a marital relationship in a way that's honoring to God. I'm just gonna give myself over to all types of stuff that maybe through that I'll be satisfied. Maybe through that, that'll make me happy. So it's not that you and I eat or drink it's that we become gluttons or drunkards. It's not that we have conversations, it's that those conversations that we become gossips in those. It's not just that we do certain things, it's that in our flesh they become cycles of addiction where we take them beyond what God's intentions are. All right, and so some people said, well, man, I just read that list works of the flesh. Well, I'm I'm just gonna go as a monk in a monastery and I'm gonna be completely celibate. No, I'm just never gonna eat food again. God gave us food. He, for freedom, all right? He gave us marriage relationships, that in that, the freedom, that it would bring honor and joy to God. But Paul Tripp says it good. I love how he talks about this, about sin and how sin gets involved. He says the grand delusion of every act of sin is that we can be disloyal to God and everything will still work out in the end. That the grand delusion of sin is that we think we're just gonna go and, and live in and sin how we want to and it's still gonna work out good in the end. Well, no it produces his death. And I love how he closes in. Anybody ever have a job description where they tell you like 20 things you're supposed to do and then number 21 is like, in anything given to you by your supervisor? It's like, this is the just in case clause. In case we forgot anything, anything else we tell you to do, like it's in there number 21. Well, he gives this in the Bible and he says, and things like these, all right? Just in case I missed anything, anything else like these things, I'm warning you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is a verse that some people use to say, see, the Bible does say that you can lose your salvation. Because if you do this, then you're not a believer anymore. So I was a believer, placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he saved me. Uh, But then I had a fit of anger or jealousy or strife, and that's not a fruit of the spirit, Now I've lost my salvation. Now I'm gonna come back over here and be saved again. But that's not what he's saying. The word here of saying doing these things is what you and I would use to say a lifestyle who does that. It's not saying you've done that action one time as a believer, but it's saying a person that is completely guilt-free and okay with giving their lifestyle over to living in that, for you, he says, you're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. We can't have Jesus and live in a lifestyle of drunkenness with no guilt, no confession, no repentance and be like, no, nope, I'm sorry, just, I'm just gonna go do my thing over here. The two don't coincide. He's saying you can't say I'm, gonna, I'm a believer I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a member of Shirley Hills. But everywhere you go, you bring about anger and strife and division and bitterness in your relationship to other people. Those two things don't go together because that's not a fruit of the Spirit. And so if that's you, you need to step back and allow the gospel to evaluate your lifestyle and go, hmm, if I'm okay living in a lifestyle like this, then maybe I'm living a life that's given over to the flesh and not to the Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit of God in me? Who is the Holy Spirit to me? I mean... If you were surrendered to the Spirit of God and you can keep living exactly how you're living and be okay with that sin, then we need to evaluate, well, where am I and what's going on? So now he doesn't stop there. He says, okay, the works of the flesh, they pull you to legalism or lawlessness. The works of the flesh always pull you to those things. But what about the work of the Spirit? Let me give you point number two. The work of the Spirit is this. The fruit of the Spirit will flow from those who believe and become to those who believe and become. I like to call these the graces of the Spirit. You notice it calls these the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit, it's singular. These things are the fruit that's gonna come up in your life if the Spirit of God is in your life. So now we're saying, okay, this is not something I do, but this is something now that I'm born again that Christ is doing in me, because I believe, I believe in him, and now he, this is becoming in me. So let's walk through these, all right? Here we go, nine of them, number one, love. Number one, love, the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is the greatest act of love in the history of mankind was when Jesus sacrificed himself for you and I We know love because we've experienced it in Jesus Christ So we believe in the love of God and now the love of God is it is becoming in our life We are becoming a loving people because the love of God is our life when you believe that you become loving toward other people When you believe that God loves you now you want to love other people Right, and This is a work, an evidence that the Spirit of God is, is doing something in our life. Secondly is joy, love, joy. In spite of all the circumstances and the suffering that Jesus faced, Jesus, Philippians says, counted it all joy. He counted it all joy that he would go and die on the cross for you and I. So as we are believing in Christ daily and following him, now his joy is becoming a fruit in our life. Because if Jesus is doing that, then we want to also, in all circumstances, allow the joy of Christ to rule in our life. What about peace? Peace. The Bible says that Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the giver of peace. The word peace in the Bible is the word shalom. Shalom, it's more than maybe like what me and you would say, like peace out, or or like, hey, hey. hope there's no more wars or no more battle, or hope there's no more drama in your life. That's not what shalom means to them. Peace means uh, wholeness. Peace means wholeness to them. So what it's saying ultimately is that when we are made whole with God, when the hole in our heart is filled with God, when things are right between us and God, it's now impacting everything else. Because I'm right with God, I can be right with you. Because I'm right with God, I now have peace in the workplace. I have peace in the midst of drama and problems. I have peace in the midst of of struggling. What about patience? I'm not sure about you, but I believe the greatest evidence of Jesus' unlimited patience is that he saved me. I mean, of all the times that I, I've done, all the things that I did where I didn't deserve the love and the grace and the goodness of God, he was patient with me. When I think how many times I heard the gospel, I heard the good news of Jesus, but I rejected it. I'm so thankful he didn't just say, nope, that's it, I'm done, that's it. Like, he was patient with me. And then as a believer, like, one of the great loves of Christ is his long suffering and his patience in my life. Man, aren't you grateful that God's not, uh, you don't get this yet? Like You don't understand this and follow Jesus? Boom, you're done. Like, finished. Now, aren't you thankful for the patience of Christ in your life as a follower of Jesus? So in the same way, because we believe in his patience toward us, we now become patient toward others. I believe this might be one of the greatest fruits to a lost and dying world is patience. That we are patient with them. We are long-suffering with them. We're not angry with them. We're praying that God's gonna work in their life in the same way God was patient with us. We are patient with them that God is gonna to work in their life. What about kindness? See, Jesus not only healed and and loved on people, but he went out of his way to care for the outcast. All right, he picked the broke down barns to do a mighty work in and to revitalize for his glory. And that is you and I. And in the same way, because we believe in his kindness toward us, now we become kindness to other people. We believe in his goodness. Jesus, it says, is the good shepherd. He leads us by still waters. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no, fear no evil. Why? Because he is good. We serve a good God. And so because we believe in his goodness toward us, we become goodness toward others. What about his faithfulness? Jesus came to earth and with a plan and despite everything, he fulfilled that plan. He was faithful to come and die as a sacrifice to you and I. And in the same way, because we believe in his faithfulness, now we wanna become faithful to the plan of God. Let me stop right here. Some of you right now, you justify quitting under spiritual terms. And God is looking at you and saying, no, be faithful. Well, it's just not bearing fruit like I want it to bear fruit. Okay, it's hard right now. Don't give up. I called you to it. Honor what I called you to. Let me tell you why this is important to me. It's important to me as a pastor because I hear the Apostle Paul saying, I I ran the race. I've ran this well. I've finished the race that God had before me. Listen to me, church. One day I'm gonna breathe my last and I don't know when that is, but I sure wanna know that I was faithful to the calling that God placed on my life. There will always be reasons for you to quit in the calling that you've got. You will always face hardships. You will always face difficulties. There was every reason Jesus had to bow out to stop this. His disciples turned on him. The people he loved turned on him and thought he was crazy. His own family thought, okay, Jesus, let's get out of the temple. You're acting a little crazy now. People weren't exactly sure, but he was faithful to honor his father and to do the thing he's called him to do. So because we believe in the faithfulness of Christ toward us, we become faithful in following his plan and his trust. What about gentleness? Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 29 says, Come to me, all who are weary, and burdened, and I'll give you rest, for I am gentle and humble in heart. See, we believe in his gentleness toward us. That's why we can repent, because God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. All right? He's not some God that's up there like with a whip ready to knock you down. He's got his arms open saying, come to me just as you are. I want to forgive you and love you and, and help you. He is gentle, so because we believe in his gentleness, we become gentle toward others. And What about self-control? At any point in his suffering, Jesus could have called down legions of angels to wipe him out. He could have just said, boom, let's just clear this place out. You're going to mock me? Watch this. He could have done it, but he didn't. He controlled himself. He controlled his his power and his resources. Why? Because he came to die for you and I. He remained steadfast because of his self-control. So because we believe. In his self-control, we become more self-controlled that we don't always follow what our flesh is telling us to do. See, Jesus tells us that the only way to have true self-control is to die to yourself and to give yourself over into following Jesus. So look how he closes. Now, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Now we have a choice with the flesh we can either gratify or crucify. Now as we're following and and filled with the Spirit of God, we can either fulfill the lust of our flesh or we can crucify it and say, Dear Lord, I wanna follow you. Lord, I want your Spirit to lead me and to guide me. Let me kind of close with this thought. Uh, a few weeks ago, our in-ear monitors, all right, anybody know what in-ear monitors? Our, our team back here, our praise team, you guys go and come forward. As they're coming and um, you'll see where they are in their instruments, they have these little wires that go up to their ears, all right, and, and they're little, ultimately, Uh, these are monitors down here, these speakers are. So they're ultimately like little speakers that go in their ear. And so as Chris is over here on the piano, he can, you see him like adjust his uh, little strap, that's his in ear, okay? And so he's putting that in and so he can say, hey, I wanna hear some more drums or I wanna hear some of the vocalists and we can tune each in ear monitor so that they can hear what they need to hear. All right, and so what it allows them is just to to make sure that they're on beat or on key. I don't know, because I will never have an in ear monitor, all right? There's no need ever because it doesn't matter if I heard the beat or the note, I'm not hitting it anyway. But for them, they need that, okay? And it helps them. So we got new in-ear monitors and, and they're awesome. When we think about who the Holy Spirit is to us, when I ask you, who is the Holy, Holy Spirit to you? You know, I think about them being our in-ear monitors in life. He is in our ears speaking the word of God and the truth of God. He's our in-ear monitor saying, hey, Jacob, that flesh is not going to make you happy. That is not going to bring you joy and love and patience and goodness. That is going to bring death and destruction. He's that in-ear monitor saying, hey, listen, don't do that. He's the in-ear monitor saying, yeah, that's right. This is what God's word says. And this will bring you peace. No, this is gonna produce fruit in your life that's gonna be good. Listen to that. Hey, Jacob, here, he's our in-ear monitor speaking and guiding. But you know what about in-ear monitors? They're only as good as the sound guy in the back mixes them. So he can say, Chris can say in practice, hey, I need a little more drums. And back there, he goes, all right, you got a little more drums, all right? But what's happening for some of you, you've turned down your in-ear monitor so low that you forgot that you're even wearing one anymore. You have forgotten that God is in your life. Literally, the presence and the power of God is in your life, and he's speaking. He's saying, I wanna bear fruit in your life. And that fruit is gonna be great. It's gonna be love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, but you don't hear it. And the reason why is because of the tug of war. You've turned that one down, and you're hearing a louder voice in the lust of your flesh. And today, what I'm hearing, I wanna tell you is, is there's nothing you can do to produce the fruit, but here's what you can do. You can surrender yourself over to the inner monitor of God saying, I've got you. Trust me, listen to me. Church, my prayer today is not that we would hear these lists and go, man, I need to be more loving. I need to be more gracious. I need to be more gentle. I need to be more kind. But rather, what I I hope we hear today is I wanna have an intimate relationship with the Father in such a way that I hear His voice. And as a result, I follow Him during the day. And that produces fruit in my life. And that way, I can end in how He says, let's not become conceited, because it's not my fruit, it's his fruit. It's not what I've done, it's what he's done. So church, you hear me online, anybody hear me abroad, we're not good because we're good people. We've been made righteous because he's a righteous God in our life, because he has saved us and he's producing this fruit. So today my prayer is that we would be a people that fall at his feet and say, God, would you do this work in us? I want you to stand as we prepare to respond to the gospel. Father, move our hearts now that we would be a people that produce much fruit. Lord, we would bear fruit not out of what we've done, but out of what you desire to do in our life. Lord, that in-air monitor speaking truth and power, guiding us, convicting us, leading us to repentance. God, you guide us as a people. That we would bear much fruit for the glory of God. Maybe today we need to bear some fruit of repentance. And there's things in our flesh that we've, we've allowed to pull us away from you. But this morning we can repent, we can turn from that and turn back to you. You're faithful and just to forgive us of it. And that we'd be people that are led by your spirit, empowered by your spirit. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, our is gonna be down front. If you're here this morning, we're gonna sing together. If you'd like to join our church, we'd love to help you. You'd say, you know what? This is a church I wanna be a part of to accomplish the mission of God. Come on, we wanna help you in that. Maybe you're here today and you just need to pray. Our altars are going to be open all over this place. Just come on and pray and say, God, I I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You come on and pray. Altars are open, but maybe you're here. And the reality is it's time for you to give your life to Jesus Christ, the Savior Lord. You're ready to experience true freedom that's only found in Jesus. Man, our pastors are down front. We would love to help you in that. Cry out to Jesus right now. Let's be a people that respond to the gospel. We're going to sing together. Altars open. You guys come.